DW Africa Link. It is 4 p.m. in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, the host of this year's AFCON tournament. Hello and welcome to the program, giving you updates from Africa and beyond. I am Okerin Gushinato. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. We appreciate everyone tuned in through all our partner stations, also on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Share your thoughts on our stories. Coming up, the World Health Organization congratulates Cap Verde after becoming the third country to eliminate malaria. From now on, we will speak about malaria in Cabo Verde in the past tense. And Cabo Verde's free malaria status means more visitors, which the country's economy relies on. Yes, indeed. And later, we also look at the latest from AFCON. All these details and more coming up. But first, let's hear from the World News in brief. DW News. With George Okachi, Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says at least 60 people have been killed in the overnight strikes by Israel. More than 100 days after Hamas carried out the deadly October 7th terror attacks, Israeli's offensive in Gaza shows no sign of slowing. The war has killed more than 24,000 people in Gaza, according to the health ministry. The fighting has also displaced nearly 85% of its population. In Israel, the 100th day was marked with more calls for release of hostages. Hamas, which is designated as a terrorist organization by Germany, the EU and the US released a video of three Israeli hostages on Sunday. Meanwhile, Israel's closest ally, the US, says it is the right time for Israel to scale back its operations in Gaza. More than 21 people have been confirmed dead following a landslide at a mine in northern Tanzania. Tanzania and its East African neighbors Kenya, Somalia and Ethiopia have all been battling flash floods caused by torrential rains linked to the El Nino weather patterns. Dozens of migrants have been rescued by Spanish authorities off the coast of the Canary Islands in the Atlantic. Spain says that uh, the last year, well over 39,000 people from West Africa reached the islands, hoping to start a new life in the European Union. According to experts, more than 6,000 people died last year while attempting the dangerous crossing. You're listening to DW's News, a Germany's international broadcaster. Thousands of tractors and uh, trucks have converged on the Germany's capitals, rather German capital, as angry farmers protest against cuts in agricultural subsidies and increased regulation. German Finance Minister Christian Lindner addressed the crowd, which responded with boos and whistles. Monday's rally concludes a week of protests, including the blockade of a motorway on ramparts across Germany. Their demonstrations have been trapped into grounds well of dis- dissatisfaction of a cost of living rises in Germany society. DW political correspondent Matthew More has been covering the protests. Basically, this is about anger. They're fed up. They're angry at the government's hasty cut to fuel subsidies, which the government has said they will now slow down. But when you talk to them, it's about more than that. They're angry about environmental protections, which they say make their lives and their jobs harder. They're angry about a minimum wage here in Germany at 15 euros, which they say makes it harder for them to compete with farmers in Spain and in Italy and France. And they're angry at what they say is broadly a feeling that they're not they're not valued by the government here in Berlin, that they're not cared for, that they're not looked out for, and that they're an afterthought. 
And that is why really this, these protests have been going on for weeks and there's no sign of an end. DW's correspondent Matthew Moore and uh, let's now jump to some sports and Bayern Munich coach Thomas Tuchel says Harry Kane is capable of breaking Robert Lewandowski's 41 goal single season Bundesliga record with the England Cup off to a sensational start at the German champions. Kane scored his 22nd league goal of the season on Friday, a 3-0 win over Hoffenheim, and has now struck in all but three of 16 Bundesliga appearances since his move from Tottenham. He is on pace to shatter the mark set by Lewandowski in May 2021 when the Poland striker broke Bayern great Gerd Müller's record that had stood for 39 years. And in the ongoing African Cup of Nations in Abidjan, Mohamed Salah saved Egypt from an embarrassing defeat in their opening game at the African Cup of Nations on Sunday while Nigeria were held by Equatorial Guinea despite Victor Osimen getting on the score sheet. In today's matches, Senegal has humbled Gambia by three goals to nil and we have Cameroon facing Guinea in a short while and of course Algeria and Angola will close today's fixtures. But for more on this, Isaac Mugabe and Okering Gushina though will be having a packed sports show in a short while. For more news and information, please visit our web- website that is dw.com. My name is George Okachi. Thank you, George, for that news. And thank you for sticking with us on the program. This is Africa Link for all news on Africa. I am Okering Gushinato. And my name is Isaac Mugabe. We are also streaming live the show on our Facebook page, DW Africa. So drop your comments. Okeri and I can read them. And in fact, I'm seeing many of you uh, bracing for a special AFCON that we have here. We expect mm-hmm. also our colleague uh, Buba Jalo to join us a little later live to dissect more about the game that just ended uh, Senegal thumping. Gambia, or like Jojo Kachi put it, humbling Gambia three goes to nil. Also looking ahead, the upcoming game between between Guinea and Cameroon. But well, uh, okay, let's start with a positive story, and it's on health matters. Mm-hmm. The World Health Organization has declared Cape Verde malaria free. The historic milestone makes Cape Verde only the third country in the African region to achieve elimination status of the disease following Mauritius and Algeria in 1973 and 2019, respectively. Yes, indeed, Isaac. And just to, for our listeners as well, Cape Verde is a small island nation off the coast of West Africa, and it has a population of nearly 600,000 people. And Cap Verde's journey to malaria elimination has been long and received a boost with the inclusion of this objective in its national health policy that was in 2007, Isaac. But how did the island uh, do that? Buba Jalo brings us more information because malaria counts for many deaths than any other disease in sub-Saharan Africa. With the malaria-free announcement, Cape Verde joins the ranks of 43 countries that the World Health Organization has awarded this certification. Before then, Cape Verde, an archipelago of 10 islands in the Central Atlantic Ocean, faced significant malaria challenges. In the 1950s, all islands were affected by malaria, but in recent years, cases were mostly reported in Santiago and Boa Vista where the final efforts were concentrated. Santiago and Boa Vista have now both been malaria-free since 2017. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, 
WHO Director General congratulated the island on this achievement. But from now on, we will speak about malaria in Cabo Verde in the past tense. Keeping Cabo Verde malaria-free will require ongoing training and continued investment in systems that protect the country against communicable diseases and continued vigilance. It will require continued investment in Cabo Verde's strong primary health system, without which elimination of malaria would not have been possible. Cape Verde has taken years to reach this point by strengthening its health system and increasing access to diagnosis and treatment of all cases. Surveillance officers have been detecting cases early as well as controlling mosquitoes. The West African Islands plan for malaria control has also ensured free care and diagnostic services for international travelers and migrants with the aim of stemming the tides of cases imported from mainland Africa. Certification of malaria elimination will drive positive development on many fronts for Cape Verde. That means travelers from non-malaria endemic regions can now visit the island of Cape Verde without fear of local malaria infections and the potential inconvenience of preventive treatment measures. Cape Verde's malaria-free status means more visitors, as explained by the country's Prime Minister, Ulysses Correa Silva. This is a historic moment we are celebrating, a milestone with a positive impact on the health and the quality of life of Cape Verdeans and also on the foreign reputation of the country. For a country in which tourism is its main economic activity, the elimination of malaria is the elimination of a constraint on mobility, the elimination of a perception and the reinforcement of sanitary confidence. Certification of malaria elimination is the official recognition by WHO of a country's malaria-free status. The certification is granted when a country has shown with rigorous credible evidence that the chain of indigenous malaria transmission by anopheles mosquitoes has been interrupted nationwide for at least the past three consecutive years. A country must also demonstrate the capacity to prevent the re-establishment of transmission. As Cape Verde celebrates this monumental achievement, the global community commend its leaders, healthcare professionals and citizens for their dedication to eliminating malaria and creating a healthier future for all. Yes, a big congratulations as well to the health workers for the work that they put in. That was Buba Jalo with that report. And also just a reminder that Cape Verde joins two other countries, um, which is Mauritius and Algeria, which have eliminated malaria, which is really great news. Um, I mean, it's great news that they have eliminated. We still have it in Africa for African countries Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Uganda, and Mozambique. They're still battling out. with malaria cases, but I think they can also reach this um, the success um, yeah. that Cape Verde. Yes, done. indeed, there are so many lessons they can learn from mm-hmm. uh, from let's say Cape Verde and Algeria. I see many of you are anxious for us to join in on the Afcon like we promised, but let's first read some of the comments you sent mm-hmm. on malaria. I know, I know, sports. You know, everyone wants about everyone talk about, is excited we talk about for sports, that. Afcon, Afcon, <laughs> Afcon. I'm also excited, by the way, we talk about Afcon because I mean it's getting really, really interesting. But let's first read some. 
of the comments that you sent us because we always want to engage you on our stories. And starting from Cape Verde, we asked you, how can other countries emulate Cape Verde in kicking out malaria? Mm-hmm. Yes. Jo- um, okay, we have we have some comments, don't we? Yeah, Wilfred Tang says, wonders, well, even countries that were declared polio-free had a relapse in a few years to say a country is free is a good wish, but the approach that we used to tackle malaria in Africa were mass distribution of bed nets, household to household, and um, health workers moving around. I mean, mm. yeah, they, they, they have a point with that. Um, and you, Lauren, says this has been reflected in their recent performance at the ongoing AFCON. Good health is a yeah. prerequisite for better performance. That was yesterday's game, actually, right? Yes, indeed. Yes. I can see our colleague Buba Jalo warming to join us yes. you know, to talk about Afcon. But let's first finish again, like I mentioned, some of these comments. You talked about mosquito nets in that previous comment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do remember us doing a story where mosquito nets were distributed in a country. Mm-hmm. And instead of them serving the purpose of being put on the bed, yes. the recipients chose to use them for fishing. But were they informed on how to properly use them, or or what was the the deal with this? I, I mean, they they thought they thought they could uh, use them for for fishing rather than using them for for what they were meant for. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a story for another day. We hope that other countries, you know, emulate mm-hmm. Cape Let's go to Liberia for for a moment. Uh, Liberia president said during a Sunday service, that he will not return to politics in 2029. And I do remember when he lost the election, he told his cabinet ministers Mm -hmm. to take it and move on and rather be able to work together with the incoming leadership Mm -hmm. to do what? To work with it. Let's read some of the comments. Yes, um, some of the comments are coming from page that is DW Africa says Mo Jacob says wow what a leader we need more of leaders like him who understand that interests of the country are above us all and uh, Samuel Sakama says George had a golden opportunity and messed it up he can say all the right things now but he knows that he led Liberia down for six years Mm. (laughs) I mean there's a different comment here from Orlando Sawia that says as a Liberian and living in Liberia I saw this coming from his speeches right after the election. Mm, but I think it's rare that we have leaders who say they won't be returning to politics. So I think all credit deserves George Weah. But anyway, tell us what you think about George Weah's stance of not joining politics anytime soon by going to our first page, TW Africa. Welcome back to the second part of the show. In case you're just joining us, this is DW's African program, and we are coming to you live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. Once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. And with Isaac Isokering Gushinado, remember, we're also live on our Facebook page, that is DW Africa, and you can also drop your comments, um, and we can read them throughout the show as well. Leave your comments on AFCON, maybe what you think so far of the games. and mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, and yes. So Indeed, okay, like we mentioned, it's going to be a punchy, punchy second part mm-hmm. of the show. We have AFCON, and we are glad to be joined by 
our colleague Buba Jalo. Welcome to the studio. To Thank the what's it? Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited <laughs> to be with you guys on the show. So you're going to be giving us updates of the Afghan. I'll Afcon, do my best. I'll and I think best. one of your favorite teams <laughs> is going to be <laughs> yes. going to face the wrath of the indomitable lions. <laughs> we shall see about that. Well, coming up, Ghana's Blackstars are giving a rude welcome to the Afghan tournament after falling to Cape Verde, two goals to one. Uh, we took a second goal that we didn't deserve because second half we, we, we tried to play good and uh, play, uh, tried to play better than the first half. Uh, yeah, of course, everyone was uh, waiting for Ghana to, to, to win us. Yes, before we get to Afcon, very quickly, let's get this story out of the way. It's about Zambia. Discuss about introducing a 24-hour economy in the country is growing, with some government officials and members of the business community believing it would increase job opportunities and productivity while also steering economic growth. Mm-hmm. As our correspondent, Glory Mushinga, reports from Lusaka, many say that it would also allow residents to access products and services at their convenience. But how would this implemented? How would sorry? But how would this be implemented as most Zambians work nine to five jobs? And are they ready for this? More in this report coming up. Sounds of music like this at nightclubs with drunken revelers are what mostly characterized nighttime in Zambia. But soon, new sounds might equally start being dominant, such as this industrial one. As roads at night might also become busier if Zambia introduces a 24-hour economy as is being contemplated by the government. Senior Arts Director Mopalom Sonda feels 24-hour shifts could revitalize Zambia's economy as well as make life easier for busy people like him. I, I, I personally don't like that a lot of companies and businesses in the country close at exactly the same time that I knock off. So I have to take a day off to get something done. So having a 24-hour economy would be amazing. Government organizations would be able to attend to people adequately and effectively, unlike having a limited time window where they cannot address all people's needs, says Alec Mvula, a businessman based on the Copperbelt province north of Zambia. Because we have a situation right now where we have so many long queues and people are, t- are told they should come tomorrow and the next day and next week. But if we had a 24-hour uh, economy, people can have the luxury of even saying that they could uh, access a service later at night. Creative director Sonda believes, like him, most citizens would be willing to work at night as many need jobs. He suggests implementing it gradually, especially for staff that are used to day shifts. Is where you start off by doing two shifts, and then you do three shifts, and then you do the full uh, four shifts, which now encompasses the entire 24 hours. For Rotha designer and developer Mr. Chailunga, a 24-hour economy only affects manufacturing jobs and is not ideal for knowledge-based workers like accountants or economists. He admits that the benefits of it outweigh the disadvantages, but advises businesses to only do it when the demand exceeds their productivity. When it comes to government services, we have to be extremely careful by not increasing the size of the civil service unnecessarily, as they can just be as productive without having a 24-hour work cycle. Overall, for planning purposes, Zambia has to have expected output in relation to input using economic simulations, Chailunga reckons. What are the projections using proper tools of both data and business analytics? 
we can't just say they do it in Japan or China, so we can also do it. Are we going to have buyers for the goods we'll be producing at the price point that is good for businesses and the country? Are we prepared to fight imports competitively or we will consider protectionism? While safety of employees and consumers at night is concerned, both Mvula and Chailunga are confident employers and government would ensure their protection, adding that there would be need to put in place related services such as transport at old hours. Glory Mushinge with that report from Lusaka. Africa Link. Sport. It was an action-packed weekend indeed of Afghan tournament in Abidjan with a number of teams playing their first game, at least, Isaac. I mean, I'm pretty sure you were you were on there or, or yes. glued to the TV the entire weekend. Yes, my eyes were glued to the TV watching the Bundesliga here halfway, you know, mm-hmm. watching the handball there, German versus Macedonia and also the Afghan. But of course, like you mentioned, we had some teams like Nigeria Superstars drawing with Equatorial Guinea, Egypt Mosala also drawing with, with Mozambique. Disappointments also, Ghana losing. But why should I go in details when we had our own Samson O'Malley, who's, you know, somewhere in the cafe. Anyway, let's hear from him. Thank you very much, Isaac. I'm reaching you live from a restaurant in downtown Ayama in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, where the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations is already on the way. So far, we've had four games that have been played since the game started on Saturday. We had the opening match between Ivory Coast and Guinea-Bissau. That went in favor of the host. 2-0, it ended. And then on Sunday, we had Nigeria Super Eagles going up against the Equatorial Guineans. That game ended one all and then Egypt versus Mozambique ended two all and then of course the surprising game of the day was the game between Ghana and Cape Verde it was the last game for the day it ended 2-1 in favor of the Cape Verdeans so far 11 goals have been scored in the four matches and we expect three matches to be played on Monday the early kickoff will be defending champions Senegal who will go up against Gambia and then we'll have the early evening kickoff between Cameroon and Guinea. The late kickoff will be between Algeria and Angola. So the games are on and of course the big wits are beginning to find out that yeah, there are no more mirrors in African football. Two goals in three minutes from Mozambique stand Mosala's Egypt side uh, as they went ahead 2-1 to one early in the second half. What could have gone wrong for the mighty Egyptian side. Mozambique currently is ranked 111th in the world, 78 places below Egypt. And they managed to limit their opponents in the game yesterday to long-range strike as the clock ticked down during seven minutes of added time. What the Mozambicans did was to understand the Egyptians. They had their tactical game well laid out and they were not going to let anything down. Uh, For the Egyptians, they came into that game looking very confident. Of course, you have the likes of Salah in the team and they were very confident that they were going to outrun the Mozambicans but that exactly wasn't what was meant to be and again it shows also the fact that um even though that, those quick goals that came through almost unsettled um, in the Egyptians, it also made way for uh, the Liverpool forward, talking about Moussala, uh, who have been, of course, a losing finalist twice and going into this game, they wanted to start on a strong footing. And head coach Rui Victoria 
we know his team will have to improve uh, as it is if Egypt has to stand any chance of what's happening uh, right now with the team. Because again, having that draw and going into the next game will not put them in a very good, comfortable position. They will need to get their acts together uh, because again, they have been uh, touted as one of the favorites for this tournament. Now, Samson, let's switch gears. The game that was full of surprise was Ghana's Black Stars falling to Cape Verde, breaking down for us. The West Africans suffered a second exit at the 2021 finals. Why did Cape Verde reach the last 16 before uh, falling to eventual champions Senegal? And their recent performance, if it's it's anything to go by, has not been the very best. Rather, they've been really, really um, underwhelming. And uh, the Ghanaians less today will definitely go back looking at what exactly happened to their team and having to capitulate uh, before a lowly uh, rated side like the Cape Verde, using that word very loosely there. Because again, the Cape Verdeans are not people that you will say um, will rank among the top 15 or top 20 in terms of continental football as it is. But what we saw displayed on Sunday was a complete uh, departure, a huge statement being made. The Cape Verdeans were stronger, they were determined, uh, they weren't going to allow the Ghanaians come at them. If you look at the uh, midfield of the Ghanaians, they had people who were doing quick runs. They were trying to capitulate on any misadventure uh, by their opponents. But again, the Ghanaians also, um, yeah, good hold on the ball. The possession was good and all of that. But the Kibedian were soaking all of this pressure in. And when they had the opportunity to go for the break, they did. And that's why we saw that, I mean, they were able to take even that very last, very last minute goal that gave them this huge victory. And the celebration was, as you can see, was really, really something that they cherry as if they had won the cup in its entirety. Uh, unlike the Ghanaians at the press conference, uh, Jiku was was really in uncontrollable tears. He was. Oh, thank you, Samson Omali. I mean, we sorry we had to cut you short because we have a very, very important colleague of ours here, Boba Jalo, ready to be taken on and be grilled about sports. Mm-hmm. Okay, take yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, Boba, I know you were watching the previous game with Senegal versus the Gambia, and, and I mean, Senegal three won three titles so far, and I mean, all there are high hopes as well for them to take it, as well as Morocco and Egypt as well, which has also um, Egypt has also won quite a number of cups. But how was the game like observing Senegal versus the Gambia? I mean, it was um, it was a good game if mm-hmm. you like, um, but the football itself was not so very tactical. It was more physical, and uh, the Gambian side. We're not so exciting to watch. I have to. I have to say, I was expecting a lot more from them. Mm-hmm. The Gambia team I saw playing in the World World Cup under twenty, under seventeen. This was not the Gambian team I was looking forward to. The their performance was um, dismal. I mean, with a 3-0 loss, what was happening? Did they have a strategy There was an early goal. There was an early goal. They conceded uh, three goals. They also um, had a red card against them and. Um, you know, when you watch football, sometimes you there are certain things that you look out for. Mm-hmm. That um, what is your strategy? 
that you're not just running around r- r- <laughs> after the ball. You have to have a strategy. Yeah. But I didn't see a strategy from the Gambian side. Uh, the Senegalese side, well, they played, but not really one of their best. Mm-hmm. Senegal, obviously, is, um, to be honest, the best in Africa. If you put Morocco aside, Morocco can be considered the best because they won. They went all the way to the semifinals of the World Cup. Yes. This is what made them best at the moment in the African continent. But um, Senegal, as you mentioned, have three titles. They have the um, under-17 World Cup, under-20, and even Chan. They won all of those. So they have like really talented, a, a large pool of talented players. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what what are you also expecting for the next games? I know you're, you're keeping count of the Guinea versus Cameroon, <laughs> which is happening <laughs> happening very soon at the yeah. top of the hour. What, you know, are you excited for this that This is game? a bit personal. It's a bit personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am part Guinean, so mm-hmm. obviously I'm rooting out for Guinea. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I'm also looking forward to is that um, football in Guinea at the moment is different. You know, they have a military junta in power mm-hmm. and those guys, they're all about football. And so they're supporting the team, they lavish them with everything that they need and uh, even the coach, they've actually decided uh, to really focus on more young talent. They have like players like Nab- Nabiketa, uh, Shehu Girasi. I mean, mm-hmm. these are top, top players. Shehu Girasi, he plays for the Bundesliga He plays as in well. the Bundesliga. He's, <laughs> he's he the is. second highest goal scorer in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I-, I mean, after Hurricane. And he's actually uh, <laughs> not featured so okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at the la- lineup right now. I see they have Gilavogi, who is also from the Bundesliga, yes, and he's a Gilavogi. bit talented. Um, but you know, I was expecting Nabi Keita, one of the most experienced to play for Liverpool, and uh, uh, he's so talented. Uh, but obviously, they are banking on their uh, uh, on young talent mm-hmm. and mostly on local talent as well, which is one of the good things that also in African football you need to look forward to. I mean, even though tactical is important, but you know, you have to say that African football is more physical than tactical. Yeah, I mean, Isaac, is this yes. a game you'll also be watching? Yes, I, of course. <laughs> I mean, we only have thirty minutes, you know, but I'm sure. About the upcoming matches, one of our mm-hmm. colleagues, Asum Talatus, will be happy to hear this from you. <laughs> Tanzania, Tanzania will play Morocco. Your uh, thoughts on okay. Morocco right <laughs> That, tell her life on air. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't see much hope there for Tanzania. Oh, no. Say, you have to speak positive. <laughs> Asumta is my boss, but that's the honest fact. <laughs> so, Asumta, you had Bupa. You're saying Tanzania has no hopes against the Atlas Lions, Morocco. They are ranked number one at the moment. Anyway, we can't go beyond this. Uh, we shall be back again same time, same place tomorrow. My name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Okerin Gushinado. Until tomorrow. Bye now. W. Made for mine.